United Church, how are we feeling today? Are we feeling good? Goodness gracious. Listen, I, I, before I jump in to today's message, I wanna tell you um, something really cool that happened on Friday night. And um, any United students in here right now? Any United students? Come on. They're still recovering because I'm about to tell you what happened on Friday night is um, they had our, their annual all-nighter. And, um, and there were actually not just students on this trip. There were some amazing partners of United Church who spent all night with some, some students. I think we should give it up for them. Um, hey, if you stayed up, if you're a partner and you stayed up all night with these students, would you just stand to your feet right now? Because I want to honor you in front of everybody. Come on. Come on. You guys are amazing. You guys are amazing. Y'all can be seated. The real MVPs. And, and uh, let me tell you this, on Friday night, there were around 250 students gathered right here in Dover High School's auditorium. And uh, that's not the coolest part. The coolest part were that 22 of them, their eternities changed on Friday night. That 22 students will now stand face to face with Jesus one day and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's because of a church like this that provides places and atmospheres like that where they can experience Jesus on their level. And uh, I get a little fired up about that. I, was, I had the amazing opportunity to actually to speak on Friday night, Pastor Anthony, at his largest event, get this, as a student pastor at his largest event of the year, asked the lead pastor to preach at that event. Um, can I tell you, that is not normal for a student pastor to do that. I was beyond honored um, to be able to communicate the gospel um, to almost 250 students. And I believe that in that room on Friday night, I believe there's so much um, opportunity for impact because how many of you know that middle school and high school students, they live in the greatest mission field ever on the planet Earth, and that's the public school system. <laughs> that they're going in every single day and they're facing opposition, uh, more opposition than we even know, that we even faced when we were in middle school and high school. They're facing more opposition for their faith. It's not the cool thing. It's not the, the politically correct thing, but they're trying to live out their faith Come on, in a school system that's really sometimes swimming the other way, they're trying to be um, going against the current and living for King Jesus. And so listen, I wanna encourage you guys. I wanna encourage us as a church. Come on, can we begin to lift up the middle school and high schoolers of our church and just pray, and even the college students uh, in, our, in our church, that God would give them the strength that they need as they step back into the school system this year to take back ground for Jesus Christ. I believe that God is gonna do something good. So. If, you, uh, if today is your first day at United, you picked an amazing day to step in. We, um, we actually do a series like this every single year, and uh, we're stepping into this series called The 302. And we love to stoke the fire of what it is that we believe God has called us to do as a church. And uh, in 2013, um, if you haven't been around for any significant amount of time, I wanna kind of share this with you. In 2013, God spoke a word over, to, over my life, and there's only been a couple times where I felt like almost audibly God has spoken to me. So you're like, does God speak audibly? And he may speak to you often audibly, but there's only a couple times in my life where I feel like God has given me like a specific word in, in, uh, in, in how to go forward. And this is the word that he spoke to me. He said, I want you to love Della until their heart beats like his. He said, I want you to love Delaware. And every week of this series, I'm gonna show us this because this is exactly what God has called us to do from the very beginning. This was in 2013. We didn't launch this church until 2015. So in a few weeks when we launched our Milford campus, any pioneers up in here excited about that? 
In a few weeks, when we launch our Milford campus on our four-year anniversary, we will be celebrating four years of beginning to love Delaware until their heart beats like the Father's. And I believe that every week, I believe that every time we worship, I believe that every school supply that's dropped off, I believe that every house party that we have, I believe every time a child learns about Jesus on their level in United Kids, come on, their hearts of Delaware are beginning to beat more like the Father's. And I don't know about you, but there's something about that phrase that just jacks me up. It's like Mountain Dew with crack in it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just, I'm just kidding. If that offends you, I'm sorry. Welcome to United. That's, we, we, uh, we have fun here too, so. But love Delaware until the heart beats like his. But how many of you have ever made a statement like this? And I wanna show it to you on the screen. If I was in blank position, I would do it like blank. I can be honest with you and truthful with you today to share with you that this has been a statement in my life that I have made more than I could care to admit. If I was in blank position, I would do it like blank. I remember for seven years, I served as student pastor. So I worked with middle school and high school students at a church in Harrington, Delaware called Calvary Wesleyan Church. Pastor Ken Figs is one of my heroes. He's the lead pastor there. And, and I remember for seven years that, that I would actually think to myself, there were times, and, and, and I don't even know if I've confessed this to him. So if you're watching Pastor Ken, this is confession time with Pastor Kenneth. And, and I remember thinking to myself, if I was in Pastor Ken's position, I would do it like this. Anybody ever in your job, like you ever have thought, if I was in my boss's position, I would do it like this. Raise your hand with you're with me, and if your boss is sitting beside you, don't raise your hand. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I didn't mean your wife, I meant your boss. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if I was in blank position, I would do it like this. I remember when I wasn't married, and I, I had some married friends, and I remember thinking to myself, listen, if I was like Bob, I would do it like this, because she's talking to him like that, and I would be, you know what I mean, getting my, my finger wagging up in the air. And then I got married, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I realized that Bob, this is, a, I don't wanna embarrass anybody, so I'm just using the name Bob. I realized that Bob was doing a pretty good job, you know what I'm saying, with what he was, with what he was given. I, <laughs> just saying. Preach pastor, right? <laughs> I remember before I had kids, this is where I used to say this all the time. Like I'd be in restaurants and there'd be a baby start crying. I'm like, do they hear their baby crying? <laughs> and then I would start talking about what I was going to do to that baby. <laughs> I'm gonna sit him outside. I would take him to the bathroom. Like, come on, let's be honest. If you're, before you were a parent, you used to make statements like this. Do they hear their kid crying? And then I had a kid. And when your kid starts crying, it's like the earth stands still and you just feel like the entire universe is looking at you. Thinking, and you're thinking to yourself, dear God, either would the rapture happen or would he stop crying right now? God, would you come back and split the skies and take me up to heaven? Am I, am I lying on this? Especially when you're on a flight. Anybody ever flown with a kid? You're just praying, you're fasting. You begin saying, God, I'll give you everything. God, my, my life savings, everything. If he would just, if Jace would just stop. Cry. We, we find ourselves all the time, if I was in blank position, I would just do it like this. But what I have found in my life is that your proximity shifts your perspective. That your proximity to what you're speaking of actually shifts 
your perspective. Some of you guys thought that about United before you came. You're like, oh man, they, they must be like this. And then you showed up. We had somebody that just went through growth track recently that they were like, United is a cult. And then they showed up and they're like, they're a partner of United now. You know what I'm saying? They serve every single week. They're like, uh, if, if it's a cult, it's a cult for Jesus. Come on, somebody. And, and uh, I've had people that they say, oh, I didn't realize they preached the Bible there. And then they show up and we preach the Bible. They're like, oh my gosh, but your proximity shifts your perspective, and, and this is something that happens all throughout our life, is that the proximity that we get to things shifts the way that we see things. And so today, if you got your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. We're gonna be there in just a moment. Mark chapter 10. We do preach from the Bible. Mark chapter 10, every single week. And in this passage we're gonna look at today, we're gonna see how off our perspective can get. We're gonna see how off our perspective can be and all that it affects when we start saying things like, if I was in their position, I would do it like this. We see that Jesus is hanging out with his 12 disciples, the 12 guys that followed him for a significant period of time, the 12 guys that he spent the most time with, and two out of the three of his closest friends show that they have missed the point. Two out of the three of his friends show that their perspective has been so swayed that they have missed how all of this thing is playing out. These guys were barely saved. Come on, somebody. These guys were disciples of Jesus. They had seen Jesus do miracles right in front of their face. And then they began to do things like we're gonna talk about today. How many of you have friends that are just barely saved? You know what I'm saying? Like they're saved, that's supposed to be a joke. They're just barely saved. Like you're like, are you, yes, you're saved. You're saved, you're not, you're not barely saved. You're all the way, you're, you're all, anyways, moving on past the point. Mark chapter 10, Jesus uh, begins to show us and begins to tell us this story. He says, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them, them being the disciples. And they were amazed, and those who followed him were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, so, saying, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days, he will rise. Jesus begins to gather his 12 disciples in, the 12 that are the closest to him, and he begins to tell them for the third time in the New Testament, he begins to tell them for the third time, he says, listen, this is exactly what's going to happen to the Son of Man, and when he says the Son of Man, he's speaking of himself, he's speaking of Jesus, he's kind of like, kind of the telling the story about himself, he says, this is what's gonna happen that we're gonna go up to Jerusalem and, and, and how this is gonna play up is they're going to arrest me, they're gonna seize me, and then they're gonna flog me, they're gonna beat me, they're gonna spit on me, they're gonna mock me, they're gonna take me to the cross. And then he's like, in the last part, he's like, and after three days, I will rise. He's like, all this bad news and then some good news. And so the 12 disciples are kind of looking onto this. Can you imagine how heavy of a moment this would have been for the disciples? Can you imagine like what would have been going through their minds? Their best friend, the one that they had spent now three years following, the one that they had left everything. Some of them were fishermen. Some of them were, well, one of them was a tax collector. Another was a, 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 a other professions. And, and they had left everything they, they could. They, were, they, they had known and they had followed after Jesus. And Jesus is saying, hey, when we go up to Jerusalem, this is how all of this is going to flesh out. This would have been a heavy moment. But then we get to verse number 35. And we wonder, I wonder if they even, have even been listening to what Jesus has been saying. 
It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Are they a part of the same thing that I just read? Like Jesus is like, hey, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm gonna be beat. I imagine like maybe if it was me, my voice would have been shaking. I would have been like, this is, this is the way that I have to go. Like, I love you guys, but this is the way that it's gonna have to be. And he's pouring out his heart. And then we see the sons of Zebedee. We see them asking this question, making this statement, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And I'm wondering to myself, are they hearing the same thing that I'm hearing? But I love what Jesus says in verse number 36. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Don't you love how sometimes even when we say ridiculous stuff to Jesus as he doesn't condemn us, he still wants to hear what we have to say? Like even sometimes what, which, what should have been the most insulting moment in the life of these disciples, Jesus, even in our stupidity, Jesus often responds with grace. That's how good our God is. That even when we blow it, he responds with good news. Check out verse number 37. They said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? Jesus is saying, listen, you don't know what you're asking. Like literally, I'm about to go to the cross. I'm about to be beaten, spit on, mocked. I mean, if that's the kind of thing that you're in for, like maybe, but, but you don't know what you're asking. And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. He's like, okay, you're gonna go the way that I go. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant of James and John. See how off your perspective can be? Like these guys have been following Jesus for nearly three years. They've been in the closest proximity that they could possibly get, but somehow they had missed the point. Somehow that they had missed exactly what Jesus was trying to tell them. That I, I can imagine that these disciples are thinking, Jesus, like you've gained all this platform. Jesus, in the last three years, we've seen you do all these amazing things. All these people know who you are. When you come into the city, they know who you are. You should just sign some autographs, kiss some babies. You know what I'm saying? Like you should just be political about this thing. Shake some hands, do what the, do what the people of the times do. And Jesus is like, man, you have completely missed the point. And what is Jesus' response to all this? Check out verse 42. Jesus called them to him. He said, come here, come here, come here. He said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. I love verse 43. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever must be great among you must be your servant. I believe what Jesus was trying to communicate 
to the disciples. I, I believe that in this moment when Jesus had gathered them all around, when they had clearly missed the point, Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to understand that this platform that has been given to me is not for me, it's for other people. I, I didn't gain this type of platform for it to be to build my platform up. I came for it to be about the one who sent me so that people may know him and have a relationship with him and be able to experience, experience him in a real way. United Church, can I say this? If you hear anything, if you don't hear anything else I have to say, I want you to hear me say this. That the platform that God has given us as a church in this community in the state of Delaware, like the, the platform that God has given us in, in the city of Milford that we're going to in just a few weeks, can I tell you if the platform that God has given us, if we use it to be about us, we have missed the point. But if we use this platform that God has given us, oh, these people are nice, oh, these people are kind, oh, these people are generous. No, all of those things are a result that there are some people who have the heart of Jesus. And if we miss this point, if we miss this point to think that we have built this thing to be self-serving and all about us, we have missed the entire thing because that's not what Jesus shows us in this passage. He says, no, no, no. I've given you this platform so you can serve at a greater level. I've given you this platform so that when you bring in school supplies, it's not just a few people bringing in school supplies, it's hundreds of people bringing in school supplies. And so you may be able to buy five packs of colored pencils, but five packs of colored pencils times 500 people is a lot of colored pencils. <laughs> it's 2,500, I'm, I'm not that aloof. But you see the multiplicative effort when, when we use this platform because Jesus was trying to show us something. He was trying to show us about serving is that serving, it gives you the posture of Jesus. That serving gives you the posture of Jesus. You see, these guys' perspective of Jesus was off. The, the disciples, the one who had spent all this time, their perspective of Jesus was off because they wanted the position of Jesus without the posture of Jesus. Come on, these guys wanted the title, but they didn't want to pick up the towel. These guys wanted to be great, but they didn't know what greatness was all about in the eyes of Jesus. And there's this quote that I shared with you guys a few months ago in the series, How to Be Great, and it's an incredible quote, but I thought it was so important to show it again today, that if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. This is one of those quotes that has shook me forever, that this is one of those things that, that I have to remember on a daily basis, that if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. And this is why Jesus was emphasizing taking the posture of him. That this is why Jesus was showing us this is the only way that you can become more like him. Can I just take a time out right here? Because when, when I talk about serving, I know some people must think that Man, they must be hurting for people here at United Church serving. They, they, must be, they must be struggling with this. But I wanna tell you, this is so encouraging to me that on a weekly basis, there are over 300 people who are involved in making this thing happen every single week. 300 people. And I believe that I would be missing an opportunity as your pastor to tell you this is that we don't need you to serve, you need to serve. 
I don't tell you this because we, we want to have more people out in the parking lot. That's amazing. I love our parking team. I, we don't need more people in these places necessarily. But what I want you to understand, what I want you to hear me say is this, is that you desperately need to be a part of something that is bigger than yourself in your life that you need this in your life. This is not something that this is just an add-on if you get more time. How many of you know that none of us have something else that we need to add on to our life, that every single one of us, I told you we don't use the word busy. A few months ago, we used the word, our schedule is full. We don't use busy. Busy's a cuss word. Full is okay, because all of us, Let's, let's just be real. Can we just be real? All of us have kids and schedules and, and school and all of us have, have work and all of us have those things. But Jesus is saying, no, no, it's not about showing up to check off a mark. It's about taking the posture of Jesus. And I don't remind you guys of this and I don't preach about this because I feel like it's something that we need. I feel like it's something that you need. But Jesus didn't stop there. He goes on to verse Number 44, and he says, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Jesus used some pretty extreme language. Use this word slave. And I know that in a politically correct world, we don't talk and emphasize that because it has some seriously crazy connotations. It has some seriously heavy baggage, but Jesus uses this word in this passage because he was trying to portray some extreme weight, that Jesus was trying to show us that a slave lays down their rights for the sake of others. And what happens is when you and I take this mentality, it leads to this next piece that serving allows others to experience Jesus. That when we lay down our rights for the sake of others, it allows others to experience Jesus because you put your rights down for the sake of others. You put your preferences down for the sake of others. Jesus seemingly turns everything upside down in these last few verses. Check them out again in verse 42. It says, and Jesus called them to him and said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They let you know that they're in charge. Come on, you have some bosses in your life that they want you to know that they're in charge and they, they will make you feel Feel like they are in charge, but that's not what followers of Jesus and leaders that lead the Jesus way, that's not the way they lead because he says, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Watch how he flips this. He says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And this is what Jesus does constantly in the kingdom. If you read through the New Testament, Jesus turns everything upside down. It's the economy of Jesus. The way up is down, less is more, weak is strong, first is last. You see this common theme that's reoccurring all through the life of Jesus. And it doesn't come naturally in a me-focused world, but what I love about serving is that you, give to, you serve to give yourself away, not to gain anything in return. And that's what I love about our teams here at United. I want to take a, a, a time out to kind of cheer on some teams here at United. How about our coffee team? Anybody enjoy the coffee here at United? I was talking to our coffee team leader, Cindy Wallace, and she said this. She said, she said there are people on the coffee team who don't even drink coffee. That's what I'm talking about, though, is that there are people who will show up early and they will stay late to make sure that the people who do drink coffee have coffee. You're like, oh, is it really about coffee? You, you think 
Coffee helps people experience Jesus. Actually, I do. Yeah, I'm just starting. But what I want you to grasp today is that it's not even about the coffee. It's not even about the coffee. It's that Jesus calls you to serve, whether it's coffee, whether it's donuts, whether it's taffy outside. It doesn't matter what God, what it looks like. It only matters that every time you serve, you begin to look more like Jesus. Every time you give of yourself, you begin to look more like Jesus. Come on, our parking team, our VIP team, our greeting team, our coffee team, the people that are standing outside when it's 9,000 degrees above Fahrenheit or 9,000 degrees below Fahrenheit. That just means when it's hot and when it's cold. That's what it looks like to make yourself a slave to all, to, to remove your preferences and say, hey, it's, it's like 15 degrees, it's freezing cold, but I'm gonna stand out there and I'm gonna warm my shoulder up so I don't tear my rotator when I'm parking cars. Come on, somebody. The, the coffee may freeze over when they pump it, but I'm gonna make it because I want others to experience the Jesus that I've experienced in my life. Every time you serve, you're looking more like Jesus. Our campus safety team, United Kids team, our broadcast, production, and worship, all the teams that serve, you're looking more like Jesus. And I'm convinced that just like all of the folks who serve here on a regular basis, that serving allows others to experience Jesus. And it's because of the 300 plus who serve on a regular basis that, that you and I are able to have a place that we can inhabit to experience the presence of God. It's because of the people that laid down their preference who have become a slave to all. They say, listen, I, I'm, I'm going to, to do what I don't wanna do so that others can experience what I've experienced. I don't know if you've been impacted by anybody who has served here at United, but I just felt like it would be appropriate to take a moment that if you've been impacted by anyone who calls himself a partner here at United, by, whether it be the coffee team, the parking team, United Kids, that you just appreciate what they do. Could we just let them know by making some noise in here today? I don't know. I think it's amazing. I was sharing with our team leaders today, I was saying, listen, you don't serve Kenneth. You don't serve United Church. The amazing thing is when you show up to serve, you put all of that aside and say, I'm serving King Jesus. I'm serving him. I wanna see the smile on his face. I wanna make him happy. How many of you know that when you, when you serve the church, come on, the scripture says the church is the bride of Christ, so you're actually serving the bride of Christ. And when somebody serves my wife, man, I get a little bit more appreciation for them. I get a little bit more excitement. Don't serve her too well, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> But I'm just saying, like, people that do give gifts, people that serve her, like, man, it gives me a little bit of a boost. It gets me a little bit excited. And I can only imagine that Jesus feels the same way, that he calls the church the bride of Christ. Check out how Jesus continues in verse number 45. One of my favorite verses of all time in all of the Bible. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man, even Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
as I was studying this, this passage, I started thinking about this phrase, the Son of Man came. I started wondering how many statements did Jesus himself actually make where he says, I came to do this. I came to do, not that Paul wrote about him, not that any of the other writers of scripture, but, but the words that Jesus himself spoke. And by my count, I can only find about 10. I didn't have enough time to extensively just dig all the way through, but I can only find about 10 I came statements. And I believe if Jesus made 10-ish statements about coming, the reason that he came, other ones, things like this, I came to seek and save that which is lost. I came to give them life and life to the full. But he says this in verse 45, that I came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life as a ransom for many. The last thing that I want you to see today is this. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down that serving demonstrates the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of our God. This is the heart of our Savior. That when I think of a king, I think of someone on a throne who's, who's shouting down orders, who's telling people what they will do, that they will do it this way, they will do it that way. Maybe that's some of the way that you viewed God up until this point but this isn't the picture I get from King Jesus. This is so much different, it's, it's so much better. I mean, what kind of king wouldn't want people asking to sit at their right or their left hand? I'm sure he was, at some level, he was probably flattered. Of, of course you want people probably serving you, but, but can I tell you that when I read this passage, I see that Jesus is different. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And he not only proved this in word, but he proved it in action. Check out verse 45 again. It says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. A ransom. It's not a word we use all the time. Ransom. The definition of the word ransom is a sum of money or other payment demanded or paid for for the release of a prisoner. I remember April 1st, 1995. I remember hearing about Jesus in a way that I'd never heard about him before. I remember hearing about this Jesus who was not just the one who came to save you from an eternity in hell, which that's an amazing thing. But I heard about this Jesus that came to give me life and life to the full to not just impact me when I die, but to impact me while I live. I heard about this Jesus who, the word ransom wasn't used, but, but it's the best way I know how to describe it now. This, this Jesus that would, 
that would pay for the release of a prisoner. I didn't even know what the, the prison that I was in, but I was a prison stuck in my own ways, in my own selfish ways. And I was only like eight years old at the time, but come on, I got a three-year-old and I know that there are, there are at eight years old, you may not be out drinking and at the bars and doing crazy stuff, but at eight-year-old, you know they're sinners. Come on, somebody, you don't have to teach them how to sin. Anybody with kids know they're sinners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're cute little sinners. That's why God makes them cute. But I remember experiencing this ransom. And every day I experience this, this payment that Jesus has made for me. And I wanna spend the rest of my days, I wanna spend the rest of my life making a way for other people to experience this Jesus that I've experienced. If that means showing up at 7.30 a.m. on Sunday morning, I'm in. If that means I'm showing up at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning, I'm in. If that means at 5 a.m. we gotta wake up and we gotta get ready to go to church, that, that means I'm in because I wanna do whatever it takes to see people come to Jesus. I want people to fall in love with this place. I want people to fall in love, not with this place, United Church, but I want people to fall in love with the church to the point where they can't help but to give themselves away. And I believe if the greatest way that that can happen for people to experience Jesus, then, then why wouldn't we lay ourselves down? Why wouldn't we wake up a little bit earlier? Why wouldn't we stay a little bit later to provide a place? Come on, where the people of Delaware and beyond so their hearts can begin to beat more like the Father's. Today, for distraction's sake, I just wanna ask you if you would just bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe today you didn't know about this Jesus, that he came to give his life for you, that he came to be the ransom, to pay the ransom for you. And maybe today you'd like to give your life to him and say, I've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus, but I feel like today is the day. My friend invited me, I had no clue what I was getting into, but I now see that I got set up If that's you right where you sit, will you just pray a prayer like this? You say, Jesus, I acknowledge that you are who you say you are, that you are the savior of the world. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross to pay for my sins. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I ask that you would forgive me. Thank you for not just dying on the cross, but raising again to show me that I can have victory and freedom in my life. Help me to live for you every single day of my life. Thank you, Jesus.